Psalm 144. Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you care for him? the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. Part your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemies. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On the ten-stringed lyre I will make music to you to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David from the deadly sword. Deliver me and rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. Our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, No cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people of whom this is true. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim. May I speak in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Many of you will have childhood memories of it, but there was a day in 1940 when Britain stood alone against an evil dictator fueled by a diabolical political doctrine, Nazism. Had the Battle of Britain been lost, the freedom of Europe would probably have also been lost, at least for a generation, perhaps much longer, and our history would have been very different And so today we remember that victory and, of course, the terrible cost of two world wars in the 20th century. We also today remember those who have served and died in wars since 1945 and, indeed, even in the last few days. And we thank God and pray for those who serve in the military, 
to protect freedom and democracy. Personally, I believe that is the right thing to do. I think it's a very special day in our calendar. But I also acknowledge that for some, and perhaps sometimes it is misused to glory in war rather than to pray for peace, for some it is a difficult day. At times we all have to stand up for what we believe to be right uh, against what can seem overwhelming odds. I suppose one of the most famous biblical examples of that is the story of the shepherd boy David confronting the Philistine giant Goliath, a story with which most of us have grown up. And while the Philistine trusted in his mighty strength and weaponry, his blitzkrieg perhaps, David put his trust in his God and in his simple skill with a slingshot, a few decrepit spitfires perhaps. In Psalm 144 and verse 2, by which time he has become a, a mighty warrior and king himself, David reflects on the source of his authority and strength. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. By the close of the psalm, David is dreaming as perhaps we dream and pray uh, for a time of peace and an end to suffering and war. He longs for a society as we do in which children and grandchildren can thrive. He writes this beautiful poem, then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. We might add that there will be no terrorists. There will be no suicide bombers. There will be no rebel armies. There will be no Taliban. We also meet in the name of Jesus Christ, who confronted and defeated the greatest enemy of all, death itself, to bring us to his kingdom. What a great day that will be. But of course, such a day has not yet come. So we need our shepherd boy and shepherd girl warriors. We need those who are prepared to risk their lives uh, and often lose their lives so that freedom can be maintained. We should on this day and on other days honor those who take such risks. We should pray for them and we should long that they are successful and that peace should come. I thought it would be good today, rather than listen to me, to hear from a couple of them who have served and one who supports one who serves. So I want you to watch these two short little films.
I've been in the Air Force for uh, seven and a half, coming up eight years, uh, and that's of a 16-year commission, so uh, just coming up to, uh, to half, halfway. Uh, and uh, my role, uh, I'm a, a Chinook pilot. Went through flying training and got selected for helicopters, and at the end of that, got my wings and got posted to the Chinook. Yeah, spent six months learning to fly the Chinook and then been on the front line for about four and a half years. The environments we work in are dangerous, particularly Afghanistan. Um, you're, you're operating, you know, uh, very close to the, to the Taliban, often over the, their heads. We often do get shot at and come back with a few holes in the aircraft. It's my job to keep people safe. That's my main responsibility and my main role. And it, it, I, I don't really think too much about um, what happens if. We go through a lot of training with what ifs, if we, if we end up crash landing somewhere and how to escape. But I think, I do certainly trust God that he's got my life in his hands. I remember hearing someone saying that um, we're immortal until God calls us home. And, and I often think that my life is, is in God's hands and, you know, and so is my timing. And, uh, you know, and that doesn't mean I diminish any responsibility from keeping myself, my crew, and my passengers safe. Um, I'll do my utmost, but I think I just have that sort of sense of peace that God's, you know, in my life and, and is there looking out for me. There was a, a time in Afghanistan last year, it was in April last year, where I was shot in the foot. That was quite a big, a big challenge. The story was we dropped off some troops first thing in the morning and we were going back in to go and pick them up. So it was during the, the extract. Landed on to pick up these troops and came under contact um, from, from the Taliban. And uh, yeah, one of the rounds came through the cockpit. It went underneath the other pilot's legs and ended up hitting me in the left foot. I, uh, I pulled, pulled my foot back, uh, realized I'd been shot, informed the rest of the crew, and, uh, and we managed to, to, to get away, thankfully, without sustaining any more casualties um, yeah, on, the, uh, on the, uh, uh, the landing site. Um, yeah, but then uh, as we were flying away, I, I collapsed on the controls, uh, had, to, had to get pulled out of the seat, and, uh, and the, the rest of the crew did an amazing job of getting us back to, uh, back to Bastion safely. That day, I got uh, yeah, straight into theatre, had the, the, the round uh, removed from my foot and got sent back to the UK. So I was back in Birmingham the following morning, where they did further surgery to sort of clean and stitch up the wound. But I've just seen God's hand, you know, amazingly through that, throughout that whole sort of experience. I think at the time it could have been so much worse. The, the round could have, could have hit um, uh, the, the other pilot. It could have gone through both of his legs instead of underneath them. It could have hit him in the head, could have hit me in the head. The fact it went through the window and then through two bits of metal before it went into my foot slowed it down enough so that there was no exit wound. Um, and had there been an exit wound, it probably would have removed my foot um, and taken it off. Um, and I was told the next day that had it, had it gone through my foot completely, they would have to have probably amputated mid-calf mid and uh, in order to fit the prosthetic um, underneath. Yeah, I'm just so, so thankful that, you know, that it wasn't worse. Um, yeah, none of, you know, uh, no one else that we were picking up got hit. Um, it was just one round to hit the, the aircraft and it happened to hit me. Um, and in all the, the recovery as well, I think I've had such a, a, a warm support from friends and family um, and people looking out for me. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like I've, you know, the, the recovery was very quick. Um, uh, I was walking the next day. Uh, I was back to work within six weeks uh, and I was back in the cockpit and flying again seven weeks later. And uh, yeah, uh, and I just think, uh, you know, I'm pretty much back there 100%, not quite back to running. Um, uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll get there eventually. But I'm back to walking, driving, flying. Uh, I can do pretty much everything that I could do before. 
uh, and I've just really seen sort of God's support and hand um, on my life, protecting me that day, very much so. Um, it could have been a lot, lot worse. Um, but also since, um, yeah, had, had so many sort of other, other stories of, uh, of God protecting my life. I think being part of the ministry is actually quite challenging and there's lots of hidden bits that people um, don't see, certainly things like the Military Wise Choir and things have started to show um, some of the, the real side of it as, as well as um, some of the fun of doing things like the choir and things, but actually there's many challenges in terms of husbands going away and um, home life being disturbed and it being very erratic, certainly for us, um, it changes all the time as to what what's happening and, and where we are. It's very hard to plan things, to go away on holidays and things because we never quite know um, what Johnny will need to be doing at work. You know, we have two small children and they found it particularly hard. My husband went to Afghanistan um, over Christmas time and actually, particularly for my little girl, um, she just couldn't quite understand what was going on. She couldn't cope with, with that. She was really upset and... Um, pretending to be ill and things, all different signs of sort of stress, that ways that she was trying to cope with that. Day to day it can be hard and quite tiring. The risks, I think, when they go away, particularly to Afghanistan and things, are very real. Um, it, my husband is flying an aircraft and things can go wrong with aircraft. That's just, you know, it's the nature of machines and things. And so there is always that threat there of something happening and that may be, you know, the worst happening and them not coming home. But... Um, try not to think about it too often because actually it's quite a big thing to to deal with and you can eat yourself up with with what ifs most people recognize that the first week when they've gone away for a length of time that's that first week is really hard and the week up to them going is very strained because you know that it's there and it sort of looms over you um, and just sort of hovers in the air there it's not very often spoken but it's there between you and that can be quite challenging to to make the most of that time that you've got. If you're not in the military, it's really hard to understand what it's like to have that life. And, and I think most military wives appreciate that it's impossible to fully know what goes on and, and how that all works. And just to get your head around the idea of, of husbands coming and going in the way that, that they do. But certainly if someone came to the church that was military, I'd just say to get alongside them, to make them feel really welcome. Military wives need somebody to, to come in and, and do those jobs and things and to help them out with things like childcare and, and to just, just be a listening ear. You may not fully understand it, and, but to, to be able to just talk to somebody and then to, to offer support and comfort is, is really good. My faith really important to me, particularly in the situation that we are. We very much felt called to be in the military and to witness in this place. Um, and, and that was very important to us. But also just the, the strength that you can draw from, from praying, from just knowing that Jesus is always there is, is amazing. Just, just even prayer on its own, you know, when you move, you move to a new place where you know nobody, you have no support structure, nobody who you know, knows what's going on with you, what's happening in your life or anything, but just knowing that, that God is always there, that you can talk to him at any time, is just so reassuring because then 
he, he's the constant, you know, we have our family and we have God and, and he keeps us strong and, and it's really good to like, share that with our children as well, that they know to, to draw on him too when they move because it's, it's a scary experience for them. And... On, uh, on D-Day, June the 6th, 1944, four years after the end of the Battle of Britain, of course, the Allies invaded France, and that final stage of World War II began. My father-in-law was uh, 20 at the time. It was just a couple of days before his 21st birthday uh, when he went in uh, to France in a tank, leading a squadron of tanks up the beaches and through the enemy lines. Pressing ahead more quickly than they expected, they came to a halt, uh, a voluntary halt, in order to consider what to do. He got out of his tank and walked across to speak to one of the other, uh, a sergeant in one of the other tanks, to have a, well, actually a captain in one of the other squadrons of tanks. The two of them were standing together discussing when a shell from a British destroyer, uh, friendly fire, landed smack on his tank, killing uh, all his crew and severely wounding him. His leg needed to be amputated uh, well above the knee, and his life, of course, was changed forever. He was a superb athlete, and from then on, uh, an amputee. While that drama, and of course there were thousands of similar dramas happening on that extraordinary day, while that was happening, another battle was raging at a place called Pegasus Bridge, and I want to end this Remembrance Day sermon by listening to the Reverend Carl Beach, who is the uh, leader of Christian Viewpoint for Men, and he reflects uh, on that battle for Pegasus Bridge on D-Day 1944. It's June the 6th. 1944 and the world has been at war for five years but the turning point was about to happen along the Normandy coastline a vast armada was gathering we remember it as D-Day in the early hours six horse gliders weighing in at nearly 10 tons were being towed across the English Channel loaded with troops from the Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire Light Infantry, a part of the 6th British Airborne Division. And under the command of Major John Howard, they had a key strategic objective, the taking of the Carn Canal Bridge. In a startling piece of flying, which RAF Air Chief Marshal Salim Mallory later described as the finest piece of airmanship of the war, five of the gliders landed within 47 yards of the target, taking the German defenders completely by surprise. In fact, the strip of land between the River Orme and the canal was so narrow that the defenders had concluded that nothing would be able to land on it, let alone a glider. At 12.16am, Major John Howard led his troops into action, 
pouring out of the gliders without hesitation, they seized the bridge within a startling 10 minutes and liberated the first house in France, the Café Gondra. They lost two men in the process. Lieutenant Brotheridge was killed crossing the bridge in the first minutes of the assault and became the first member of the invading Allied armies to die as a result of enemy fire on D-Day. Lance Corporal Fred Greenhow had drowned in a nearby pond when his glider had landed. Despite being lightly armed, they had orders to hold the bridge until relieved. And during the night they were joined by other paratroopers and essentially stood ready to defend the crossing at all costs and await what was to be an inevitable counter-attack. Meanwhile, Brigadier Simon Christopher Joseph Fraser, 15th Lord Lovett, had landed at Sword Beach with his 1st Special Service Brigade commandos. Lovett, a cousin of David Sterling, the founder of the SAS, was something of a character and by this time a veteran Special Forces operative. In fact, so successful were both Sterling and Lovett that Hitler had personally singled them out as dangerous terrorists to be shot immediately on capture. Story has it that defying Hitler's threat, he stormed the beaches of Normandy wearing a white jumper under his battle dress inscribed with his name in a collar and a Winchester underlever hunting rifle as his personal weapon. Ordering his personal piper, Private Bill Millen, to pipe the commandos ashore, Millen raised the fact that such actions have been prohibited. Ah, replied Lovett, that's the English War Office. You and I are both Scottish, and that doesn't apply. After fighting through the German lines, his task, and that of his troops, was to link up with the troops at Pegasus Bridge, who by this time are facing a sustained and heavy counterattack. Arriving a little over two minutes late, Lovett offered his profuse apologies to the paras. The reply was typical British irony. The natives were a little hostile here, they said. They then ran across the bridge to the accompaniment of Millen's bagpipes, and despite losing 12 men to sniper fire, they managed to hold the bridge until they were relieved by the British 3rd Infantry Division. In honour of the actions of 6th of June, the Khan Canal Bridge was renamed Pegasus Bridge. Only six days later, during the Battle of Braville on 12th June, Lovett was seriously wounded whilst observing an artillery bombardment by the 51st Highland Division. A stray shell fell short of its target and landed amongst the officers, killing the commanding officer of the 12th Parachute Regiment Battalion and seriously wounding others. Lovett clearly thought he might die. And Lieutenant Colonel Derek Mills Roberts of the 6th Commando Brigade later remarked, he was in a frightful mess. A large shell fragment had cut deeply into his back and side. Peter Tasker, number six commando's medical officer, was giving a blood transfusion. He was very calm. Take over the brigade, he said, and whatever happens, not a foot back. He repeated this several times, and then, get me a priest. Lovett was to survive and hold many key positions in government. He died on 16th March, 1995. Bill Millen played the pipes at his funeral. Pegasus Bridge is a story of undoubted heroism, grit 
determination, guts and courage, a squad of men stood together to capture and hold a bridge, a key strategic objective against the odds. 2,000 years ago, a man stood alone to provide the bridge between God and humanity. In this alternative invasion story, there are to be no reinforcements, no backup plan, no bagpipes. The message of Jesus is brutally simple. We messed up. We call that sin. Our enemy, we call Satan, is driving home an attack with the aim of turning as many hearts and minds away from God as he can. One man stood alone. He didn't fight back with a rifle. He exercised power by allowing nails to be driven through his hands and feet and by facing a brutal execution process instead of us. No greater love is this than a man laid down his life for his friends. There's now a bridge between God and men. We know him as Jesus. He stood in our place under a fierce assault so that we can know peace with God. Pegasus Bridge, one of many acts of incredible daring and heroism that made a strategic difference to D-Day. The cross, the act of daring and heroism that made a way for the human race. Mm-hmm.